Becky and I to be here today. This is Dan's mom, my beautiful wife, Becky. Some of you have not met her, but it's a joy to be here. As Dan said, we had the privilege of serving here for uh, two years and then uh, moved to West Virginia serving in the ministry there. We have uh, very, very fond memories of this church, our time here. Uh, we, of course, Dan and I speak every week and kind of keep uh, one another up on what's going on in our lives. And uh, each week he talks about all the new people that are coming. We've had the privilege of meeting many of you this morning. We pray regularly for you. The folks who were here when we were here uh, have such just great memories. So it is a true joy to be back here today. It moves me deeply to see what God is doing here in the city of Pittsburgh. And we trust that the Lord will use his word today to really encourage and strengthen us. I'm going to ask you, if you would please, to turn to Ephesians chapter five this morning. Ephesians chapter five. It is going to be a message that's kind of directed to dads. I see a lot of uh, young men here today. Some have entered into fatherhood, some have not. But what I'm going to speak on today is applicable to each of us as God's people. But I am going to gear it particularly to men today, to dads, to husbands, both of those tasks that God has called us to uh, are very difficult. Uh, Becky and I have been married for 39 years. We've been parents for a lot of years. I don't know exactly how old's been to 36, something like that. So we've been at this for a long time, and I continue to see the deep need for God's wisdom in being able to accomplish this task. What I would like to do today is something somewhat simple, I think. I don't know that I'm going to cover a lot of ground that's new to you. Maybe there'll be a nuance here and there that you've not thought about that the Spirit of God will kind of open your mind to. But I think the general things that I'm going to, to share with you today are known by you. But my goal and my hope is this, that we will connect all the dots together. I have found in my living of life that sometimes you know things and it sets in a storage bin somewhere that you never really connect with everyday life. You know certain things about God, you know certain things about His Word, that sometimes when you're walking through life, you just simply do not take that and apply God's wisdom and God's understanding to certain situations. And so I want to encourage us today to really do that. And I hope through the message, the way it is going to be structured here today, that the Spirit of God will move in your heart. He begins with a simple thought in chapter 5, verse 1. I know some of this is going to kind of draw from what Dan spoke on last week from the book of Philippians about uh, walking in the gospel, walking worthy of the gospel, how our life needs to be shaped and defined. It needs to demonstrate and declare the gospel not only in word but in deed. And so some of this is going to draw a little bit from that, and so your mind should already be set toward that. As Paul enters into this last section, chapters 4, 5, and 6, he draws from the truth that he has presented to them of the grace of God, what God has given to us, blessing us with all spiritual blessings, calling us unto himself, making us accepted in the beloved, giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit, he prays that we will somehow be able to 
understand these things, to utilize the power of the resurrection, to understand the, the, the weight of his call upon us, the riches of our inheritance. He desires that we know those things even beyond what we could even imagine. Then he walks down into chapter 5 and he makes a statement that just kind of takes us back. Therefore, be imitators of God. What an amazing statement. Imitate God. Just get to know who God is. Jesus said this in such simplistic way when he called all of his disciples. His call was so simple, he just simply said, follow me. Just follow me. We are often referred to as Christians as followers of Christ. We are Christ followers. We are disciples of Christ. We're to imitate God. As you think about being a father, as you think about being a husband, often he compares it to that. Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. We are to live our lives, demonstrate our lives in a way that reflects Jesus Christ. That's true wisdom, as we saw from Adam's reading. Imitate God and walk in love. Look over at verse 8. Paul also encourages them as you read through this, and we don't have time to to look at it thoroughly, but Paul is going to, to put forth this contrast. He tells them we're to walk like believers. We're to walk worthy of the calling that we've been called. Walk worthy of the gospel. Our lives should not look like, he says here, the Gentiles because their minds are darkened. They're alienated from the promises of God. They do not understand the truth of God's word. So we can understand if their pathway doesn't reflect God. He says, that's not you. He introduces this passage in verse 8. He says, you were once in darkness. You were once characterized by darkness. Your mind was darkened. But now, he says, you are light in the Lord. Therefore, we are to walk as children of light. For the fruit of light light is found in all that is right and true. Verse 10 such an interesting verse to me. I had a wedding yesterday, and I challenged the couple with this thought as a part of my challenge to them. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What an interesting statement. It's just so simple, and yet it has so much involved in it. That as we live life, we try to discern what would please the Lord. As I am a husband, as I am a dad, as I walk through life, as I make decisions, many very small decisions, some very major decisions, I wrestle with this concept. What is pleasing to God? How can I live my life to bring honor and glory and pleasure to my God? I know that's one of the core distinctives of Redeemer, that we be a people that bring pleasure to God, that we be a people that draw our pleasure from knowing God. And the simplicity of that is, as we live life, we try to discern, we try to understand, we try to plug in all the facts that we know about God and from His Word, and from that make a discernment that we be able to walk in a way that reflects the will of God. And He says here, try to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as an unwise person, but as a wise man, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. How can I live my life to make every opportunity? How, as a dad, can I live my life in an intentional way, discerning the will of God, using the knowledge I have about God and from God, to live wisely so that I'm investing the years that God has given me to the very best of bringing honor and glory to Him. And then he tells us there, he says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me move down to verse 23, and I'm going to read through chapter 6, verse 4. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, that each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You listen to those words and they're not difficult to comprehend. We can put it together. You could write an outline. Husbands, lead your wives, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Follow their leadership in all things. Children, obey your parents, honor your parents. Husbands, dads, walk this fine line. As I was studying for this message, I came on a quote by Calvin that I thought was so appropriate, thinking about the necessity of wisdom and being a dad. He says, It is not the will of God that parents in the exercise of kindness shall spare and corrupt their children. There is such a fine line in verse 4 that we're not to incite and arouse anger and discouragement in the lives of our children as we speak into their lives, as we discipline them, as we direct them, as we speak to them, as we set forth an agenda for their life as a dad does his children. We're to be gentle as we do that. We are to have forbearance. We're to be patient. We're to be kind. And yet, Kindness taken to a wrong extent would lead to children being spoiled, children being corrupt, children doing what they want to, children being on their own, never bringing that discipline, never bringing that training, that training that says to them, 
exercise restraint to stay away from evil and pursue that which is of God. And we as a dad have to be able to know the balance to be able to do that. And that's difficult. It's extremely difficult to do. It's not necessarily difficult to look at this today and be able to write it on a piece of paper. But somehow, it can break down very quickly when things aren't exactly as they should be in the home, as we have to engage our children. As we come home from a busy day, our minds are busy, they're filled with things. As a husband, how do we lead our wives? We're going to look at our wife and say, Honey, I love you, and I want you to follow my leadership. I want you to respect me and be able to follow the wisdom that I have in giving direction to our family. We're going to work together to this, but I'm going to ask you as my mate that God has called us together, I want you to follow me. We say to our children, I want you to obey me. Do you understand what we are saying to them when we ask them that simple little command? We're asking them to trust us. If I look at you and say, I want you to obey me, I am saying with that, I'm going to give you direction in life. I'm going to give you commands. I'm going to set an agenda for your life that is, if you follow it, will lead you in a good way. I'm going to ask you to honor me, which is saying to you, I am worthy of your respect. I'm going to live a life that is going to reflect something that you can respect. You know, it's simple to say to a child, obey me, this simple little rule, pick up your room. But life is a lot more than just picking up your room. When you ask a child and you teach a child to be obedient to authority, ultimately the authority of God, you're saying to that child, the instruction that I am giving you is worthy to be followed. That is a tremendous responsibility that rests on any man in this room who is a husband, who is a dad, who is a leader in a church, whatever the case would be. Because of that, we desperately need wisdom. We need to know how to navigate life. Wisdom, of course, is extremely important. I'm going to have us look at several different portions of Scripture, so uh, you can turn in your Bibles, although very few people ever do that anymore. You can flip on your pad, iPad. However you get there, you get there. And turn back to Proverbs chapter 3, if you would, please. I don't need to emphasize this an enormous amount to this particular group, but I do just want to hit some things just as a source of reminding us. Proverbs 3, verse 13, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her wisdom is better than gain from silver, and her profit, what she gives us as a reward, her profit is is better than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. We understand the importance of wisdom. But remember, my object today is not to simply say that to you because you could say, hey, I know that. But it is to connect the dots. It is to look at our life and ask the question, 
what is a priority of our life? If, I, if someone took my life and followed me and got inside my heart and inside my mind, what would they discover is the most important thing in my life? Is it silver? Is it gold? Is it toys? Is it pleasure? Is it God? Is it wisdom? Is it just simply accumulation of facts? Is it wanting to know everything about all the little tiny details about someone's life and we immerse ourselves in the social media to know all those little details? Or would they look at our lives and say, you know, I think so-and-so evidently sees deep and great importance in wisdom because they are valuing it. When you compare it to what their other things they are looking at in life and pursuing, you would have to conclude that wisdom is a treasure. Wisdom is important. Look at verse 21, chapter 3. Proverbs 1 through 9 is a, is a deep challenge to all dads. If you would just go through there and mark the little phrases, my son, my son, my son, my son, you would come to a conclusion that these introductory chapters, prior to him really getting into the Proverbs, are a dad really wanting to give instruction to a son about how to live life in a wise way. And so he says here, my son, do not lose sight of these, these things about wisdom. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. I want you to see some of the things that fall out from being wise. I think it emphasizes their importance. For they, these things of wisdom and discretion, for they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. What greater treasure could we ever give a son or a daughter? than teaching them how to walk in a way that their foot wouldn't stumble. I think all of us understand we're all going to stumble at some point or another. We just come to factors of life and we stumble. There's just something there in the path we didn't see, we didn't recognize, we didn't anticipate, and we stub our toe, we stumble, we fall a little bit. But he says wisdom helps us walk in a way that we're secure, secure in those things. When we think about parenting in our culture today, when we think about security, what is equaling in a person's mind? What are they saying will bring security to a child just in our world today? What is it? Money? Education? Stature? Power? All these sort of things that if we can bring our child, if we can provide for them a way as they're growing up to have those things, then they will be secure in life. The writer of the scriptures, God says, you're looking at it wrong. The greatest gift that you can give your child to be secure in living life is wisdom. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. What a great gift that is. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You know, you think about those things, and the older I get, the more I understand their importance. Being secure in the truth of God, the promises of God, the Word of God, the character of God, 
that when calamity enters into your life, it isn't like you're just scattered in a thousand different ways, but there's a confidence. There's a confidence that my God is sovereign, that my God is wise, that God as a sovereign one, God as a wise one, is providentially moving me through life, moving things in my life, out of my life, in a way that is absolutely wise, and I am confident in my God. What a great treasure that is. What a great treasure that is for any wife to know that her husband has the mind of God in that sense. To know the will of God that is pursuing the will of God. Spend time on their knees before God. Searching the scriptures to know what is God's will. How can I lead my wife? How can I lead my family? We have to make decisions. What pleases God in this decision? How can I effectively navigate life to bring glory to Christ? To bring pleasure to my Lord? It is through wisdom. It is that security. My wife and I have done a lot of traveling. We've been in different ministries. I've been involved in church planting, missionary type work, almost our entire married life. And I know there were times, still probably times, that she's looking at me and saying, man, that just sounds pretty crazy. But there's always been that sense in her that Hopefully my heart is tied to the mind of God and that God is leading and in that there is confidence. It is that connecting the dots. It is that pursuit of wisdom that you say, man, this is important. You know, my devotions aren't just this habit, but I need to search these things to be a wise man. To be a wise dad, to be a wise husband, to be a wise leader in a church where God will place me. Here at Redeemer. Let me just give you what I would see as a very simple definition of wisdom. Turn back to Proverbs 1 if you would. Let me just read a couple of verses that I'm going to put together. It's not a a definition that I have come up with. I didn't write down where it came from, but I'm sure it came from someone. It just stated too well for it to come totally from my mind. Proverbs 1, verse 2. He says, I'm saying these Proverbs for this purpose, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. That's a good word to marry with wisdom. Insight, be able to look into a given situation. Insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness and justice and equity to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Here's what I'm going to lend to you as a definition or give to you as a definition for wisdom. Again, I don't think there's anything new with this, but listen carefully. Wisdom is not knowledge alone. And the word wisdom has this element in it. If you looked it up in a lexicon, you would find this word married to it. But the skill of living a godly life as God intended man to live. Wisdom is the skill to live a godly life the way God intended. Imitating God. 
being able to love our wives as Christ loved the church, being able to father, direct, parent our children in a way that is instructive, it is disciplined, it is with kindness, and it produces that security, that confidence in God. Where is wisdom found? I'm sure you know the answer to that, but let's go to Job. I find it interesting that Job would write so much on wisdom. Job went through difficult days, to say the very least. Job 28, if you would turn there. This is the last really long speech that Job makes until he is confronted directly by God and then at the end he acknowledges certain things about God that he's just you know, overwhelmed with. But I like the way he lays this out. In verse 1 he says, Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that, that they refine. And so the next several verses he's just logically stating a point many of the things that we want we know where to find them if you want to find gold you go to a gold mine if you want to find silver you go to where silver is if you want groceries you go to a grocery store if you want a car you go to an auto place and so on and so forth so he comes up with the question in verse 12 But where shall wisdom be found? We know where to find silver. We know where to find gold. We know where to find iron. We know where to find these various commodities. But let me ask you a question. Where can you find wisdom? Wisdom isn't hidden in the ground somewhere. He says, and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. It cannot be bought with, for gold. Silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, the precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels or fine gold. No mention shall be made of it in coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. And he just continues. He says, you cannot go down to the store. You can't go down to Giant Eagle." You can't go to Home Depot. You can find about anything at Home Depot. You can't even buy it online. You can't even Google for it and say, where is wisdom? And they're going to take you to a website and you can plunk down the credit card and you have wisdom. It just doesn't work that way. But where do you find wisdom? He poses the question again in verse 20. From where then doesn't come from these you can't buy it from where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding go down to verse 23 God understands the way to it he knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens verse 28 and he said to man behold the fear of the Lord That is wisdom. To turn away from evil, that is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. It's an interesting answer, isn't it? 
be an answer that it would be fun to take some time if we could sit down in kind of a, a discussion-oriented situation with eight or ten people, just break up in little discussion groups and really kind of think that through. What's the logic behind that? How does the fear of the Lord equal wisdom? Not just that it's the beginning of wisdom, but it's the sum of wisdom. It's where wisdom is. It is fearing God. If I would have posed that question to you, I think just about everyone here would have come up with an answer. There's probably two primary answers. What are they as to where wisdom is found? How would you answer that question? Help me out here. Okay, the scripture is certainly going to be a, an absolute depository of, of, uh, of wisdom. What else? Knowing God. I think, is that the book that the, the group one, two study? What a, what a great pursuit. Tremendous, tremendous book. How then does the fear of the Lord tie in with that? I'll just give you what I would say is a, a simple thought behind it. It might be something good for you to think through. My understanding is this. When you have a deep, deep respect for someone, it is the same thing with parent-child relationship. If a, if a child truly respects their parent, not because they're forced to knuckle under, but that they see in their mom and in their dad something that gives them the ability to say, man, I, re I respect my dad. And I am willing, even though I'm doubtful, even though I don't know that I would go this way, I am willing to follow that. The scriptures give us such an interesting thought. Listen to some of these verses. I'm going to tie this all together here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll just read it to us. I'm going to read several verses here. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. But of him, of the Father, of God, are you in Christ Jesus. It is the electing work of God, the sanctifying work of God, the justifying work of God that places us in Christ and we value and treasure and rejoice in those truths. But of him are you in Christ and Christ has become for us wisdom. What an interesting thought that is. Christ is our wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, we glory in the Lord. God is our wisdom, if God is our redemption, if God is our righteousness, everything that we achieve in life, just as we sang about just a little bit ago, we can say that it is God who is working in us, it is by the grace of God. That which I am, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I attribute it to God, I rejoice in that, I rest in it, I revel in it, I love it, and I give my boast and exaltation and praise unto God, who is the source of those things. Wisdom is a part of that. Colossians 2, listen carefully. It says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Every fact that could ever be known, every piece of data that could ever be known about anything 
is found in God. He knows all things. That's one of the basic doctrines. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Nothing, no piece of knowledge escapes God. All knowledge is found in Him. But not only all knowledge, but the ability then to take that data and transfer it into life. All wisdom. There is no wisdom that is not in God. All wisdom is found in Him. And so if we want to be wise, we look at our God and we say, you know, I respect God to such a degree that I am going to immerse myself in knowing Him. I believe that who God is is the sum of everything that is right, everything that is wise. If I want to be a good, skillful husband, if I want to be a real skillful dad, I want to look at my heavenly Father and understand who He is, how He operates, and all these things. I want to know God. I want to pursue those things like Paul pursues knowing Christ. I want to walk that path. I want to be an imitator of God. I want to know Christ. I want Christ to live through me. Hear that language? You hear it and you see it all through the epistles, don't you? It is the fear of God. That's wisdom. It is saying, I believe God knows more about life than I know. It is, man, if I can just understand what pleases the Lord and discern what would bring pleasure to God in a situation to understand the will of God and how to live the will of God, how to love my wife. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's really difficult to know exactly what that means because sometimes I'm going to have to make hard decisions that will go against what at this moment she would like to hear and like to do. I'm going to have to make financial decisions to keep us from really ruining our lives. And she's going to be disappointed. And I'm going to see that disappointment in her face. I'm going to see it in her life for a while. But I've got to be wise. I've got to do what is right because it honors God and because that's what she's relying on me to do. I've asked her to follow me. And I want to love her and I want to love her right. As a parent, Man, it'd be nice if you could just say, hey, kids, you could just, I just want to be your friend. I want to give you this and this and this and this. I, want to, I never want to say no to you. It just doesn't work that way. They're sinners just like we're sinners. God has to say no sometimes. God has to build into us the discipline to pursue righteousness and to abstain from evil. And that means to hold back the flesh. That means to battle against the flesh. And so as a dad, as a husband, we have to know how to love. We have to know how to take that truth and apply it to life. We we have to know how to make those difficult decisions sometimes. Because we understand that's what God's Word calls us to. That's wisdom and I believe what God is saying. It's true. 
That's connecting the points. That's wisdom. That's skill to live life. Adam so rightly put it, the Word of God is a great source of wisdom. Men, let me just encourage you today. I know you're busy. I know many of you young fellows are students. You're studying. It's been a while since I've been down that path, but I know that there's just reading and 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 reading. And it's difficult, I'm sure, to discipline your own heart to get into the Scriptures after having to read everything else. But dads, let me look you in the eyes today and tell you, men, let me tell you this, there is no greater investment of your time than saturating your heart in the Word. God has been gracious to give you elders that know the Word, that love the Word, that are committed to the Word, that will preach the Word, teach the Word. Avail yourself to these opportunities. Listen carefully. Take what they're saying. Think it through. Encourage your heart with it. Saturate your heart. Even if it's ten minutes a day, put your heart in the Word. Invest your time and God will build truth into your mind and teach you through the work of the Spirit that's going to fill you how to live life. The Word of God. Jesus put it so simply in the Sermon on the Mount. He closes the Sermon on the Mount. I sang this song as a little kid growing up in a church, unfortunately, that just never really preached the Bible when I was, when I was young. But he said this, the wise man, when he talks about all that he's been saying, the wise man builds his house where? You don't have to sing it. You might be singing it in your mind, that little song. Wise man builds his house on the rock. Where's a foolish man build his house? On the sand. Life comes and what happens to the sand? It's washed away. Life comes and beats on the rock. It stays. And he makes the application to what he's talking about here is that a wise man builds his life on the truth of God's unchanging, unmoving, Men, be men of the Word. Pursue the truth of God's Word. Look into the Word. My heart thrills at what's taking place in this group one too. We have a similar group in our church down in Charleston. We didn't call it together. There were just some young guys that said, hey, we just want to get together and study. And They get together on Thursday evenings. They come together and they're pursuing Christ just like you're doing. That absolutely thrills my soul. I rejoice in that. Be men of the Word. Be men who put yourself in the Scriptures so that you will know wisdom, how to live life skillfully. Let me just very quickly go to James, and then I'm going to go back to Proverbs 3 just for some real practical thoughts, and then we'll be finished this morning. 
I talked about a contrast a little bit ago. It's hard for me to turn and talk. So I'm going to turn, then talk. I've been like that all my ministry days. I'll get to talking, and I have no idea where I'm going to. James chapter 3, okay? I talked a little bit ago about contrast. That Paul is trying to emphasize to us that there's a way that unregenerate man thinks because the mind is darkened. All of us were in a state of being unregenerate before God's grace came upon us, drew us to Himself, and saved us. Logically, we can conclude that we're no longer to walk that way because that doesn't define us anymore. We're to walk in the light. We've already talked about that. James is going here to contrast the idea that there is a wisdom that comes from the world. There is a wisdom, and that would make sense to us. If wisdom is being able to take facts, data, apply them to a life situation to know how to go through it, that the world is going to do that. They're going to look at some things and say, this is wise. They're going to challenge you, your peers, particularly those of you who are in a professional environment, you're studying for that. Your peers will challenge you about how you're living your life sometimes. They're going to say, man, you are a fool. You are crazy for doing that. You're crazy for living life that way. So James says there is a wisdom that comes from the world. The main thing that's always going to characterize that wisdom that comes from the world is that it's always based on self. So you can look at your life and every decision you make, if it's always that self is number one, it probably isn't wisdom that's flowing from God. Then he explains wisdom that comes from above. Verse 15. Excuse me, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is making a direct application to some of the things that are going on to the people he's writing to. But he just tells us here that be careful when you think about wisdom. Make sure that our wisdom is flowing from God, that it's coming from above. It's not the wisdom that comes from the world. It's not the wisdom that comes and flows out of our culture. But it's wisdom that's characterized by the person of God. Let's go back to Proverbs 3 and I'll end there. Just some practical things for dads. Dads just instructions to a son, to a child doesn't have to be a son, of course. He just uses this language, but it's going to cover both sons and daughters. Moms, he encourages the mothers or children to follow the teaching of the moms. And so, you know, this thing of parenting is a teamwork, certainly. He says in verse 1, My son, don't, do not forget my teaching, and let your heart not wander from my commandments. That's a lot to ask someone, isn't it? 
Matter of fact, later on in Proverbs, one of the Proverbs says that how important it is to ask the person that you're leading to give you their heart. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. What a great point. When we pray for our grandchildren, one of the things that we pray for is that God would give them good character. That God would teach them the importance of steadfast love, being faithful, being loyal to the things that are good to be loyal to. That God would grant to them strong character that's rooted in Christ. Verse 5. Listen to this. Man, if you could just get this into the hearts of your children. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Man, if you could just Get into the mind of your child. Trust God. Think about God before you do something. Now that's, that's a long pursuit, but it begins with your life modeling it. It begins with your instruction of the Word. It begins with the right discipline, the training, all these things we've talked about today. But it's so simple. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Not as a laundry list of do's and don'ts, but just help them identify evil and know that evil is always going to distort the glory of God in their life. And get away from evil. Flee from those things. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. I can't think of a better thing to teach a child in the culture in which we live than to be wise with your money. Invest what God has given you. Be a good steward of the wealth that God's given you. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Verse 11. My son, what practical teaching. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The writer of the book of Hebrews draws this in chapter 12. As you remember, he talks about the chastening, the discipline of the Lord. Just practical things that the father in Proverbs lives forth. Unfortunately, Solomon didn't live these things. He knew them. He was wise. God granted him great wisdom to lead the kingdom. But in his own living, these things flee him. He talks about purity, how to stay away from things that appeal to the flesh but will destroy you in these chapters. Great, great truth in these first nine chapters. All the Proverbs, of course, but to a dad, these first nine are just excellent things to think through. Wisdom. Being a husband and a dad is a tough task. Being a wife and a mom is a tough task. Would you agree with that? I should have asked you that right from the beginning. I, I think it's almost a, you know, one of those things you'll even have to think about. It is hard. It really is difficult. And we need, desperately, we need wisdom. Let's pursue wisdom as we pursue Christ, as we pursue God, as we go 
hard after Him as we saturate our hearts with the truth of the Word. As we understand the truth of the Gospel as it penetrates our life and affects our lives. And let's fear God. Let's just admit it. God knows all things. I trust Him. He is awesome. He is great. We sang about it today, how I enjoyed worshiping with you. I know it was such a delight for my wife. I don't think she enjoys worshiping with any people in all the world more than she does the Redeemer family. I mean that sincerely. And so it was a joy to be here. So let me just encourage you as a brother in Christ, seek the wisdom that can be found only in God and in His Word.